0: Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit urfellowship.com. Well, it's great to see you all. My name is Chris. I'm the, the teaching pastor here at the Upper Room Fellowship. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. If I don't get to see you on Tuesday night at our Christmas Eve service, Merry Christmas. Um, so i got a question for you to start out today. Here's a question to kind of get us started. Why is it that we always expect it to be bad news when an authority wants to interact with us? What I mean is, you get a letter from the IRS, you don't exactly gather the family around, right? Let's ooh, Let's open it, right? Or when you're a kid, you know, and your dad needs to talk to you, right? What's the first thing you ask? Am I in trouble? Right? My kids do that. I think I'm a pretty good dad. I need to talk to you. Am I in trouble? I mean, they expect the worst. Or how about this? Have you ever, has this ever happened to you? And I'm thinking back to like eighth grade. Uh, You're sitting in class and they interrupt the class and they say, will the following students please report to the office? And you immediately start thinking all the stuff that you've done. Right? And how do they find out? And if they call your name out in your class, what does everybody in the class do? Let's do it together. Ooh, right. It is universal. Or you get a note on your desk at the office that says, hey, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so needs to talk to you. You know, it's just got to be bad. There's just a sense of if there's an authority and he or she needs to talk to you, it's bad. Now, I don't know where that came from, but there's, there's this universal thing. If somebody in authority wants to see me, I'm not sure I want to go, because it'll probably be bad. Now, here's the odd thing. Somehow, way, and I can guess why, but somewhere along the way, we have attached that same reaction in response to God. That if you got a letter from God, you would probably open it with fear and trembling. That if God was in the next room needing to talk to you, you'd immediately start rehearsing all of your intentions and the promises before you go in there. When it comes to God, there's just a sense of, If I have to have a conversation with God, or I have to do dealings with God, it's not going to be good. And we immediately start thinking of all the stuff we've done wrong. And if he's holy, we're not. And we know if he's righteous that we know we're not. If he's consistent, we know we aren't consistent. Whatever he is, we just kind of intrinsically know we're not. Even if you don't have like a, you know, theology education, we just kind of know. He's just something that I'm not. And the idea of having to give an account to him or have a conversation with him is just scary. We assume the worst. It's why some of you don't go to church. Because maybe you don't like to go to church because church is kind of like one step closer to having to interact with that thing or that issue. And that idea and that decision that I made in the past. Whatever it might be. So there's a lot of fear around God and church. I don't know where that came from. Uh, Maybe it's the way your preacher presented God to you or your church experience, or you knew a pastor once, and he was an odd and strange guy, and so God must be odd and strange. I don't know where it comes from. But there's this universal sense of, if if I've got to do business with God, it's going to be bad news. When I was a kid, I remember this. Growing up, I went to church, and uh, we heard Bible stories all the time, which normally is a good thing. There's some Bible stories you should maybe not read to little children, right? And I remember this. The teacher read this story. Maybe you're familiar with this story. She read this story about this little kid named Samuel. And Samuel's staying with this older guy named Eli. Eli is a prophet, and Samuel's going to be a prophet. So he's learning how to be a prophet. And one night, Samuel wakes up in the middle of the night, and he hears this voice going, Samuel, Samuel. And he jumps up, runs to Eli's room, and says, Eli, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed and he's lying in bed and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel runs in there, Eli, what is it? Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Third time this happened, Eli says, Okay, next time you hear somebody calling your voice, say, Lord, your, your servant heareth. This is a little King James storybook. So your servant listeneth or whatever. You know, and so he goes back to bed. He's a little kid. He hears this voice again, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel says, Yes, Lord, your servant heareth. And then God starts talking to Samuel and gives him this message. And then story time's over. Have a nice day, kids. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to sleep again. Right? And I remember having this conversation with my mom going, do you think God's going to like say my name out loud while I'm trying to sleep? Because if he does, if God says my name out loud and I'm alone in the dark, I will sleep with you for the rest of my life. Right? That's... Scary stuff. See, there's this just sense of whatever God is, I'm not. And if God and I are going to go one-on-one, it's, it's negative for sure. It's bad news. And here's the amazing thing. The message of the Christmas story should erase all that kind of thinking for us. I really believe that if you and I really embraced the Christmas story that we're going to read in just a minute, that all the unhealthy you know, duck-and-run-and-hide stuff would evaporate. And we would no longer interact with God based on guilt and fear. Now, the irony of this is we know the Christmas story, right? In fact, not only do we know the Christmas story, many of you have been in the Christmas story at some point, right? Anybody here ever been a sheep? We had a bunch on stage today. Or a wise man, or a shepherd, or maybe you got to be baby Jesus. The point is the story's not new. But why is it that we can read it? and read it, and read it, and hear it, and hear it, and hear it acted out, and still the message eludes us. We miss it. And it's not just the message of the Christmas story. It's throughout the entire New Testament. So today I want us to camp out on some phrases and some words that we've read a thousand times, uh, because there's a message here that is life-changing. Because it's a message intended to do away with all the unhealthy fear of God. Because that fear keeps you from experiencing intimacy with God. Because you cannot blend intimacy and unhealthy fear. The two are mutually exclusive. So let's read this story. It's found in Luke chapter 2. If you brought your Bibles, you can turn. There, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. And you, and you need to know this too, that, that when this happened in the first century, that this was a, a time of a lot of fear and confusion when it came to God. This was a time when the Jewish nation was supposedly in covenant relationship with God. Um, but for 40 years, Rome had them by the throat. They were over, very overtaxed, the Jewish nation. The, the religious system had fallen apart. <clears throat> Half the priests had sided with Rome. There was just this, like, confusion everywhere. Politically, socially, financially, uh, things were very, very uncertain. The Jewish nation had no voice in the government. And if, and if all that wasn't bad enough, the Christmas story begins with a decision made by Caesar, who had never been to Palestine... He makes this proclamation that affects everybody's life. And there's nothing they can do about it. So here's how it starts. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So he's sitting around one day going, how many people do we have? Let's find out. Uh, let's make them all register. Verse 2. This was, was, this was the first census that took place while Quirius was governor of Syria verse 3 and everyone went to their own town to register so everybody had to go back to where they were born to register and if you lived where you were born not a big deal but if you'd moved real big deal because you had to pack up and within a certain time frame you had to go and register so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth to galilee to judea to bethlehem the town of david because he belonged to the house and the line of david So Joseph lives by road about 170, 200 miles away from where he's born. And his wife is pregnant. She's going to give birth very soon. She possibly might give birth along the way. And they're going to travel through a very, very dangerous part of the world. But think about this. As much as they fear what might happen to them on the road, they fear Rome even more. So they're going to go to Bethlehem. Verse 5. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them in the inn. Thank you, Caesar Augustus, for your sensitivity to our situation. Thank you, God, for this awesome opportunity. And then we get to this shepherd scene that's so famous that we can quote the lines from it, where there is this truth that if we get, it can change our entire perspective of God for the rest of our life. Listen to this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. That means they're sitting out in the field, doing what shepherds do. They're staring, staring up at the stars and the moon. Thinking the kinds of thoughts, I guess, that you would think about when you, like if you went camping. You stare at the sky. Wonder if there's anybody out there. Wonder if there's meaning to life, you know. This is, this is what they did night after night when they kept sheep. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This little word shown is a little Greek word that's only used one other time in the whole New Testament. And it was used when this bright light knocked a guy off a horse one time. That's the only other time it's used. It's like this very, very powerful bright light. When this happened, the sky just lit up. And these guys' eyes were not adjusted, Right? These guys went, this, they acted it out, I think, perfectly up here. These guys went flat. <laughs> the sheep just scattered forever. <clears throat> they got it. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They're out there in the pitch black of night, and suddenly the sky lights up like it never has before. They're really, really scared. So the English translators use this word, and it's the right word, Terrified. These are outdoorsmen, right? These are people that are hard to scare. They are terrified. This is the biggest thing they'd ever seen. There's a voice, or we don't know exactly what they saw, but I guarantee they thought it was God, and suddenly they're thinking, God's here, and this is not good news. God's here, and I'm scared to death. Listen to the next part, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Whatever fear my presence brought to your mind, you can erase it. Whatever you thought was going to happen, it's not going to happen. Whatever you assumed, you were wrong. The thoughts of, oh no, this is bad news, just erase all that. You don't need to be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. And this is amazing. And it will be for all the people. Now I've got to pause here and tell you the implications of this because this is a part we go right by. The angels are saying, God has a message and it's good news. And it's not, just for, it's not just good news for holy people. It's not just good news for consistent people. It's not just good news for people that kept their promises. It's not just good news for everybody who showed up to church last week. It's not just good news for people who read their Bible. It's not just good news for good people. It's good news for all people. God has decided to do something, and he's going against the rule you've lived by all your life, which is good things happen to good people, and everybody gets what they deserve. And you earn your way, and you deserve your way, and you perform your way into whatever is good in life. No, this is good news for all the people. Which means your behavior, your personal righteousness, your attempts to be good, your consistencies or inconsistencies are irrelevant. This is something God has decided to do for you. And that's why you don't need to be afraid. The angel says, I got some good news. You don't have to be afraid. And it goes on. Today in the town of David, here's why it's good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. God knows what you need. You don't need to try harder You don't need a disciplinarian. You don't need more rules. He's given you what you need. He's given you the very thing that you need so that you don't have to fear any longer. He's given you a Savior. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now listen to this part, as if the shepherds weren't scared enough with one angel. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host Appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. In other words, God gets all the credit for what's about to happen. This idea started with God, it ends with God. This whole thing is all about God. This is something God has decided to do for all people, irrespective of good, bad, ugly, pretty, righteous, unrighteous. So, glory to God in the highest. God gets all the credit. And here's what we get. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is incredible. This is the message of Christianity. This is the beginning, but it's throughout the New Testament. The message is that when you and I understand that God sent sent a Savior into the world, and that God offered salvation to every single person, regardless of past, when that settles into your heart, God gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. Do you know what we get? We get peace. But as long as you try to factor in what you have done and haven't done in your relationship with God, guess what? God doesn't get any credit because God hasn't done anything spectacular. As long as God's treating you and treating people the way you deserve to be treated, just like us. Everybody does that. That wouldn't be good news, right? That'd be fair news. That'd be the same old news. But see, when you and I get to the place where we're able to actually accept and embrace this message and decide that my relationship with God has absolutely nothing to do with what I've done, then he gets the credit, and I get peace. But as, but as long as I'm coming to him, and my, you know, my part of the relationship is based on what I've done, he gets very little credit, credit and I never have peace. Because I could have always done more, and I could have always tried harder. There's always something I can dredge up and say, I haven't done enough. So God's going to judge me. And if God's going to relate to me based on my inconsistencies, well then, fear will always erase peace. It's only when we're able to see that God really gets the glory that we're able to experience peace. It's the peace from recognizing that 2,000 years ago, God sent into this world what we needed most, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Look at this last phrase, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now here's something I don't think this has even gotten into my heart. Uh, To think that God's favor rests on me. I don't think so. I feel like there's some people I could fool enough to where their favor favor would rest on me because they don't really know me. But God's favor resting on me? Like how does that sit with you? If I was to look at you and say, hey, good news, God's favor rests on you, what's the first thing you think? You're going, I don't think so. Not me, my wife, right? The fact that she stayed with me, she gets extra favor. Okay, but me, God's favor doesn't rest on me, buddy. What's the first thing we go digging into? We go digging into our past. We go digging into our sin. But the good news of Christmas is that God didn't send good news and send his son into the world because of you. He sent him into the world because of him. This is all about glory to God in the highest. And he gets the glory and we get peace because his favor is with you and with me. And the moment we respond to God's favor by looking into our lives and our lifestyle, what we said is, God, I don't really think your favor is on me. I think I'll get what I deserve. I think you're still dealing with me based on my performance. And you missed the message of Christmas. You know, it's interesting. There was a time when man's relationship with God wasn't built around fear. It was built on intimacy. It was built on love. And it it was back in the very beginning. It was just Adam and Eve and God. I don't know if you believe that story or not. It kind of seems like a myth, but I believe it because Jesus talked about Adam and Eve like they were historical figures, so I just go with that. But anyway, in the beginning, there were these two people that had a relationship with God where there was no fear. When God came a-knocking, they just threw open the door. It's good news. God's here. There's no fear. There was just intimacy. You know what destroyed that? Not God. Sin. As soon as sin entered the picture intimacy went away, and fear rose up. In fact, even in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve fell, God came calling, and what did Adam and Eve do? They went and they hid, right? Why did they hide? Same reason we hide. Why are you hiding? I'll tell you why you're hiding, because you know in your heart there's something wrong. There's a disconnect, and we know it. We know there's something wrong in the Garden of Eden. Sin. Sin replaces intimacy with fear. And see, the good news of Christmas is God recognized the problem. And he knew that there would never be intimacy between us and him as long as sin was in the equation. But sin is a reality. Sin is part of all of our pasts. Sin is in all of our history. So what is God to do? God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll Send a savior. I'll send somebody to take on the penalty of your sin so you don't have to. And once you're willing to embrace that truth, then you can have the peace that comes with knowing that your past is no longer an issue in your relationship with God. And you'll give him all the glory and you'll experience all the peace. And that's amazing. There was a guy that traveled around Jesus, with Jesus. His name was John. Uh, he wrote one of the Gospels. He also wrote three little books, creatively entitled First, Second, and Third John. Right? Three titles. That's what they called them. They're in the Bible, and this is important. John, who saw Jesus as an adult, saw him do miracles, uh, was there after the resurrection, saw him crucified. John grew up, he was exiled because people thought he was an idiot, because he kept talking about a dead man coming back to life. So they put him on an island to die, exiled him. And while he was there, he wrote these three little letters. Here's a snippet of one of these letters. Here's how he put all this together. 1 John 4.18. Good. Look at this. There is no fear in love. In an unconditional love relationship, there is no fear. So you see, the problem with not embracing the message of Christmas is you're left with fear. And as long as you have fear, you can't have a love relationship with God. You can like him. You can sing songs to him, I guess. You can throw some good deeds his way. But you see, unhealthy fear and love in a relationship are mutually exclusive. They don't go together. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Into a world full of relationships with God where there was a lot of fear, God sent his son to drive out the fear between God and man. Because perfect love drives out fear. Look at the last part of the verse. Because fear has to do with, what's the word? Punishment. Punishment. See, the reason there's this unhealthy fear is because you know you deserve to be paid back for what you've done. The message of Christmas is this. God decided not to pay back the human race. God decided to send his son and allow him to take the penalty for your sin. And as you embrace that simple message, fear is replaced with peace. And when you worship, it's from a heart just overflowing because you're reminded over and over and over. All glory goes to God. And for some reason, his favor rests on me. And by the way, you know what the ironic thing is? In our running from God, we always run to the things we should be afraid of, don't we? You see, I bet your greatest regret relationally, your greatest regret financially, possibly the greatest regret of your life is the overflow of a time or a season or a night of your life when you ran from God to something you should have been afraid of. And then it creates sin and complications and havoc in your life. And it makes you even more embarrassed to do business with God. God's going, I want to save you from all that. See, the message of Christmas is real simple. Fear not. My favor rests on you. Fear not. My favor rests on you. Fear not. I sent you what you need the most. I'm not going to send you an altered set of rules that you have to keep more consistently so you feel better about yourself. No, no, no. I'm just going to send a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if we could ever come to grips with the fact that this is a gift to all people, and all you have to do is receive it, then you'll give him glory, and you'll experience the peace. They finish up, here's what I want to do. Uh, uh, real quick. I just want you to imagine that God spoke to you, all right? I don't know, maybe you're driving tomorrow and thoughts from the service come back, or maybe tonight you're laying in bed and you're thinking about it and God speaks to you. Maybe while while I was speaking, God spoke to you. What would be your initial response to this? What if God were to say to you personally by name, fear not, my favor rests on you? What's your reaction to that? If your initial reaction to that statement is, well, but I, then you've yet to embrace the message of Christmas. If your response is that thankfulness and worship well up in you, then I think it's made it from your head to your heart. But I'm praying for me and for us that we don't read the story and miss the message. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is easier to talk about than to walk out of here and do. So Father, I pray that in this, this Christmas season, uh, you would give us the courage and the grace to put any unhealthy fear of you behind us so that we could come to you based on what, what you've done for us. We pray that peace wouldn't simply be something we talk about, but it would be something that we experience. Because glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. God, I pray that that will become just the passion of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.